Hey everybody, this is Ryan James with I Squared Ministries, and uh, I'm excited today to do a podcast. My friend Sandy, she has been a student uh, with us at Mission Muslim World University for the last, what, six months or so? Mm-hmm. And uh, she is getting ready to launch into the Middle East to work full-time with Muslims. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to have a interview her and have conversation about, uh, yeah, just all that she is going to be doing and what she's done. So Sandy, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. So why don't we start just by, uh, why don't you just kind of tell us how you got into the just missions in general uh, and kind of where you've been working in the past. Okay, well, I actually got started, um, or my heart started moving towards missions when I went on my first short-term missions trip to Mexico when I was 20. And at the time, I didn't know anyone who did missions for a life or for a career. Um, I never met a missionary at all, Um, but I just said, you know, Lord, if you opened a door for me to do this for the rest of my life, I would do it. And it took a few years for that to happen, but he did open a door and that's how it all got started. Wow. So did you have uh, kind of a support system around you encouraging you in this? Did you have friends or family? Were you kind of a lone ranger in this thing, or did you have anybody else that was going on the same path? I think I was probably mostly on my own in it, um, at least in the beginning. I had good good friends and good some good leaders um, at my church, but um, I don't think any of them knew someone who was a long-term missionary either. So it was a brand new uh, world. Um, when it all first started. Wow. So that was when you're 20. Yes. So you're now 37, right? 37. So you've been in the missions movement for 17 years now. Is that right? I mean, moving towards it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, where have you been working? Um, I spent the last five years in Asia working mostly in anti-trafficking. Wow. And uh, so was that mostly uh, the worldview that you're dealing with? Is it mostly Buddhist? Is it mostly just um, not religious, humanistic? What, what, what was it mostly like? Um, their worldview there is, they would call it Buddhist, but there is a lot of animism mixed into their form of Buddhism. So there's a lot of um, spirit worship ancestry worship and um, a lot more folk Buddhism, I guess, is what would be better to call it. Um, But kind of you're born into something and you've never really questioned it or known someone who was anything different. Hmm. Um, So it was definitely sharing the gospel. You would have to start with who the historical Jesus was. Um, Hmm. They didn't know if they knew about Christmas, which many of them now do know something about Christmas, they only know the commercial side. They don't mm. know anything about the nativity or the mm. coming of Jesus, anything like that. And so um, it was definitely very different than sharing your faith with someone in America or in the West. Wow. Um, so 
you know, I met you um, six, seven months ago, and uh, yeah, you, you kind of shared with me that uh, the Lord had at some level marked you for the Middle East and that you were going to uh, switch your focus to a certain extent to uh, laboring among Muslims. Could you kind of tell us a little bit about that transition? Sure. Um, I actually lived in the Middle East a number of years ago and uh, for several, most of a year, several months. Um, and that was my first longer term exposure to missions or living cross-culturally. And it was uh, really hard to live mm. in a Muslim culture as a single woman, especially. Um, but in the time of preparation for going there and also in being there, the Lord really put the Muslim people on my heart. And mm. so I've had a soft spot in my heart and a mm. burden to see them uh, come to faith in Jesus mm. uh, since, you know, even prepping to go go there back then. And, but I initially um, had had a heart for Asia. And so my time in the Middle East before was actually just an internship during mm. a program that I was doing to prepare for going to the mission field long term. Mm. And so that was my internship. And my intention at that time was to live out my days in Asia. And then um, a few years ago, the Lord just really kept bringing the Middle East to the forefront and the Muslim people to the forefront of my heart. And, um, and I gave him a yes and just said, when you're ready to send me, I will go. Um, just let me know. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so about a year ago, he started speaking to me about it being the time to mm. move in that direction. And wow. so that's kind of what the process has looked like. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm really uh, intrigued and I think it'd be helpful for people to understand kind of what you're talking about, about being a single white female uh, living and being a missionary in a Muslim culture. Could you unpack that? Why was that a challenge? Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I can remember really distinctly, um, I know that for most of the time that I was there, the last time around, I didn't want to leave my house if I didn't have to, because it was just so exhausting to have men turn and watch you walk everywhere that you walked and to um, make comments, sometimes derogatory comments, or try to touch you. Um, and it was just very difficult. And I remember um, just really wrestling and feeling this heaviness on me. And then I was walking to the train one day, and all of a sudden, I was like, this is what the women here feel. Wow. Wow. And it was just like, I finally knew it was shame. Wow. Because when people wow. you know, say those kinds of things and look at you in that way, and no one stands up for you, you just feel like something's wrong with you. And Islam, in Islam, um, sometimes a man will say, you know, Allah, forgive me for lusting after her, but it's her fault that I lusted after her. Mm -hmm. Because they believe that it's a woman's fault that they struggle, the man struggles with uh, lustful thoughts. And so then the women have this shame that they just live with every day 
And I had never wrestled with that before, but nobody stands up and tells them that they're wrong for saying those Mm. things or thinking those things. And so then just being bombarded with that shame every day, finally, when I was walking to the train one day, I was like, oh, it's shame. Like, this is what it is. I feel like there's something wrong with me because this keeps happening and no one's doing anything about it. And I'm not supposed to do anything about it because I'm not supposed to react when they do these things. Wow. And so, um, yeah, so that was just very difficult to, oh, gosh, to live with that every day. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, that is, uh, wow, what a burden. Um, I can't even, yeah, fathom. Um, so, um, so I met you uh, seven months ago, and you decided to jump into our program and just for our listeners, uh, the program, which is Mission Muslim World University, would be more akin to a independent study program at a, a seminary. Um, Joshua Lingle built the curriculum. I kind of help administrate it. And yeah, just how the, the program has impacted you, uh, what you, um, kind of what it's entailed for you, how it's changed you, and kind of how you'll uh, approach missions differently now? Sure. Um, well, I have definitely been really blessed and feel much more equipped to be able to go to the Muslim world um, after jumping in with the MMWU curriculum. Um, I feel like I not only understand Islam much better, but I understand my own uh, faith in Jesus and my my own relationship with Jesus has taken on a very different depth than it had had uh, before in being able to uh, defend Mm -hmm. the faith and Mm -hmm. also being able to see more of the beauty and the majesty of the Trinity and just the good news that we've been invited into the family of God Mm -hmm. um, that's existed from before time began and um also being able to, you know, ask questions, know what questions to ask of Muslim friends to mm. be able to have a dialogue mm. about Jesus and um, what we believe and how to explain things when they, they think we believe something different than what we actually believe, um, how to be able to convey truth in a clearer way than I could have done before, mm. for sure. Um, yeah, it has been... I feel much more ready. I feel like I could strike up a conversation with most Muslims right now and be able to talk about many of the doctrines and be able to give a valid answer that would suffice if they have an open heart. Yeah. One one of the things that I've really enjoyed in our conversations is just talking about uh, contextualization and... um, how we go about discipling Muslims, how we communicate the gospel, what gospel are we preaching. Uh, for instance, um, at I-squared, I we, we, uh, we teach um, polemics and apologetics as part of our curriculum, which basically is a, um, the idea that we need to be able to not only articulate the gospel effectively, but we need to be able to confront the gods of this uh, gods of the nations, including Islam, and 
confront the false ideologies to be able to tear down those strongholds so that somebody can not only hear the truth but leave the false truths that they've believed their whole life behind. So, uh, so this is new for a lot of people. A lot of Westerners, uh, especially, aren't uh, very familiar with a more confrontational style of evangelism. And it's not that we're saying go out and debate every person you meet, but uh, the idea that we need to have those harder conversations along the way um, with our Muslim friends. Um, you know, I, I, you wrote a paper um, called Dare We Confront um, about an article that Jay Smith um, wrote. And uh, yeah, you mentioned a dream you had, and I'd love for you to just kind of share that dream and, and just kind of your journey with um, wrestling through uh, the issues of apologetics and polemics in, in our, our mission strategy? Sure. Um, well, the dream was pretty simple, but in, in the dream, uh, I just said, you know, we have to go out and compel the lost to come in, and we can't just share a little bit about Jesus or share a piece of our testimony. We have to be ready to give a defense for the gospel, even as Paul you know, went in and reasoned in the temple, reasoned in the synagogue with the men, um, we need to be able to do that now with people that have different belief systems and be able to give an answer any day of the week mm -hmm. about why we have the faith and the hope that we have. And contextualization is definitely something I've been wrestling through for a number of years, having uh, living in Asia the last five years, and will continue to be a wrestle as long as I'm living in another culture because it's just very complicated um, to know how to convey the gospel in a way that that person from that people group or that culture can understand it and um, hear the same truth that I'm trying to convey because. Mm -hmm. As a Westerner, I have my own worldview that I'm bringing to whatever I say. And one of the nice things is that there's a lot of things in the culture of a Middle Eastern nation or even an Asian, uh, Asian nation that are more uh, closer to the culture that Jesus came into when he came the first time. And so it's actually, there are some ways that they can understand some of the connotations easier than we can because they have a communal culture and they're not individualistic and they haven't been raised in the American dream the way that uh, I have. And so there are some really great um, things about their culture that make it easier to convey, but also we have to, as outsiders and Westerners uh, coming into an Eastern culture, we have to understand what they believe. And when I say this term, what does that convey to them? Because I don't want to um, be using concepts they can't grasp or that mean something different to them. But uh, to be able to convey uh, the truth of the gospel in a way that they hear it and, and see the beauty of Jesus, hmm. uh, but being very true to the biblical New Testament. Wow. Who was Jesus and what did he say about himself and what did Paul have to say about him? Wow. Um, 
I, I love what you were talking about um, earlier before we started this about the gospel that the apostles preached is a lot of times so much different than what our modern Western missions movement is preaching. Um, now, knowing you, I, you're kind of like me, um, a little more on the introverted side, I would say, and and not uh, a super big, bold personality. Um, so, you know, this isn't coming from some uh, super outgoing, like, Italian guy, right? I mean, this is yeah. coming from, from, from my friend Sandy, who's a lot like me. Uh, naturally not a bold person. So um, what, how do you, when you read the book of Acts and, and you see how the apostles preached, how has that challenged you um, and how you approach uh, sharing the gospel? Um, yeah, especially in other cultures. Yeah, the, one of the things that really stands out to me is that they didn't preach an individualistic gospel and that they spoke much more about Jesus rather than the person that they're speaking to. And I feel like a lot of times, at least in the West, when we share our faith with someone or seek to share Jesus with someone, we, we talk about, we find out what need that person has, and we share with them about how Jesus could meet mm -hmm. that need. And a lot of times, I feel like even in our worship songs in the West, they can be very self-focused about um, the blessings we can receive mm. and um, just our own, the benefits that we get for being part of God's family. And those are real. But in our preaching of the gospel, Jesus has to be at the forefront. And so mm. that's what I keep coming back to. And um, when I read, mm. you know, how Peter and Paul spoke the gospel and preached in the book of Acts, um, and when I look at the the disciples and the way that they laid their lives mm. down, um, I feel like they were preaching a very different gospel than what we often um, kind of defer to in in the West now. And I know that you know I came into the kingdom through hearing somebody's testimony about mm. how God had meet, met their need. And so there's validity in sharing how God meets our needs, but I think we have to have Jesus and, you know, that he is the coming king, that we're looking for him to, to return and make all things right, mm. that he will be the judge of the living and the dead, and that he is the only one worthy mm. to carry that out. Um, those are things that we need to be conveying uh, when we share the gospel with anyone with our Muslim friends or with anyone. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I, uh, I often think about, um, the study of Jesus's discourses and even the content of, um, of Paul in the book of Acts. You think about Stephen and his exhortation to the Sanhedrin and just how bold these guys were in terms of confronting what we would call enemies of the gospel. And, uh, we know that, when Jesus is calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, uh, he's longing for their souls. Right. But this is a zealous man who's zealous for the truth. And these guys are standing as enemies of the gospel and he confronts them on that. And that is something that uh, Christians, especially in the West, are completely terrified of doing. We know that Islam 
in, in many, many places is uh, way more confrontational. And uh, when we talk about cultural dynamics, Middle Eastern culture is way more confrontational. Yes. It's just in nature than Western culture. And uh, Dr. J. Smith said, hey, if, if, if you're a missionary and you want to contextualize, you need to learn how to debate because they love that. They love to uh, have heated, fiery conversations. And so I thought that was a, a really interesting uh, nugget of truth from, from Jay. Um, so one other thing, you know, because one thing that's different about Mission Muslim World University than a lot of other, say, missiology programs out there is that we heavily focus on studying Islamics. And some people don't understand why would you study Islamics. You know, a lot of uh, uh, missiology programs uh, are heavily weighted on studying, you know, anthropology, sociology, studying culture, all of that. So how do you think... Uh, studying Islamics in this particular time frame, which is different than studying culture or Muslims, how do you think that has helped you uh, prepare for the mission field? Well, I think that um, understanding, I mean, in order to share our own faith with someone, we have to understand where they're coming from and what their objections are to the news that we're sharing with them. And if we can't get a grasp on that, it's very hard to convey truth in a way that they could grapple with it or understand it. And my heart and prayer in the conversations that I've had uh, with Muslims and, and as I go forward, my prayer is not necessarily that a Muslim would be won over in the conversation that we have, but that they would go home and think about the questions that I asked them or the story that I told to try to illustrate a principle from the Bible, and they would wrestle with that and how it doesn't sit well with their worldview or how they understand God. Because how they understand Allah is very different than how we understand God or mm. Yahweh from the Bible. Mm. And so my, um, my hope and my desire It'd be great if they, you know, came to faith right then and, and they already were at that place where they were ready to do that. But in most conversations, I feel like it's giving them something that they have to go home and, and be upset about, can un, you know, not content with something now mm. in their worldview. They have a question or an objection to something that they previously believed. Mm. That's my hope. Um, because I know that God is faithful in the midst of that wrestle. And if they have a heart that's opened and the Holy Spirit's working on them, then they will come to faith in time. But someone has to ask those questions. Someone has to bring up those objections. Someone has to um, call the Quran to the same scrutiny that they would bring to the Bible and to our own scriptures. Yeah. And so someone has to do that in order for them to even think about questioning what they know to be true. Absolutely. Yeah, I love, uh, there's a book called Any Three that Mike Shipman wrote. And uh, I love just the simple disruptive question that isn't super confrontational, but it causes somebody to dig deep. And it's just the simple question of, oh, how do, how do you get your sins paid for in Islam? That is a monumental question that the hungry, 
Muslim that really wants to please God will wrestle with. And so, um, yeah, I think you, you nailed it, that uh, people are just going through normal life and the Muslim Ummah and Muslim countries are so tight knit to keep out, you know, media, internet restrictions, uh, TV restrictions that they don't actually allow Muslims to grapple with things. And so most Muslims are just going through life and they just love their family and they, you know, all they know is Islam and they've never been challenged and they've never dug deep and they've never wrestled. And so uh, to give them the opportunity, wow, that's uh, an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, we've uh, ha absolutely had the pleasure of having Sandy in our school and uh, yeah, Sandy was amazing. Um, hungry student that just plowed through, um, you know, it's kind of a self-paced uh, independent study and plowing through videos and readings and um, writing papers. Uh, yeah, so it, it's just been a, a pleasure uh, and an encouragement that there's hungry hearts that want to uh, really pour their lives out as drink offerings for uh, missions in the Muslim world. So yeah, I, I'm. Uh, it's been a real encouragement for us to uh, see your your work. Um, so Sandy, just I think that the average uh, Christian doesn't kind of understand that the lonely road that a a female single missionary goes through. And if people aren't aware, the vast majority of missions globally and historically has been carried by you know single women. And, and if we didn't have single women laboring on the, on the mission field, uh, the, ch the global church would not be where it is today. And so how can we, uh, you know, how, what, what's, it, what's a real encouragement or what, what is really um, helpful for you um, in terms of, you know, maybe challenges that uh, a missionary like yourself goes through and, and what's what's really encouraging uh, along the way for you, uh, for the body of Christ to, to understand? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the, the biggest ways that I feel like the Lord has led me is that my goal, no matter where I go, is that I would be a friend to Jesus in whatever city that is, whatever context that I'm in. And so whether it's in a red light district in Asia or in a Muslim nation, hearing the call to prayer, you know, go off five times a day, whatever it is, um, I want to be a friend to him. So I want to fellowship with him and I want to um, be able to share, share him with other people and pray for him to have more friends wherever it is that I live. Uh, but it can be really discouraging because we don't always see a lot of fruit in certain seasons. You know, some seasons things are really amazing and other seasons it just feels like every day you're crying out, how long, oh Lord? And, you know, how many times am I going to pray this prayer or pray for this person or watch this person relapse into, you know, really bad situations? Um, but if we make our goal, our primary purpose for being somewhere to be a friend to Jesus, then we measure success very differently mm -hmm. and we can continue even in those seasons when things don't feel the most fruitful. Mm. Wow. So 
how can, uh, obviously, praying for you by name and uh, holding you up in prayer, but how else do you feel uh, encouraged? I mean, from the, the landscape, obviously, of missions has changed uh, in many ways, and um, we, we have more opportunities uh, in some respects than ever before at least in our generation, to do missions. Right. Um, there's easier on-ramps. Uh, you don't have to go somewhere by yourself. I mean, I've read lots of biographies of these single women, just heroes that just yes. like moved to China and right. there's no one else. And you don't have to do that. Thankfully, you have a, where you're going, you have a, you have a great team, right? Yes. That's, that's mm -hmm. going to be there. Yes. And that's essential, right? Yes is very essential. What is it like, do you feel like you have support from uh, the church in the United States? Your, what's your support system like? I feel like um, I definitely have been in the missions world for a long time. So I know a number of people in the missions world that maybe have lived or at least traveled uh, a lot themselves. So they can understand better what it's like to live as a foreigner in another country. And so I feel like I have a number of people that really do understand a lot of the wrestle. Um, whereas, you know, some people might not have that because they haven't been in the missions world as long right. or didn't come out of a missions community. Um, so I feel like I have that in a, in a good way. Mm. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of it, no. which is good. That's great. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I. Uh, why don't you just tell us kind of uh, just a little bit without we're, we're, you know, we're not disclosing where Sandy's going to be laboring. But uh, you're going to a, uh, a Muslim-majority country, you know, in the Middle East. And, um, yeah, why don't you just tell us, I mean, that just in itself is heroic, Um in, in my mind and in so many else people's minds, but what, what do you be doing there when, when you get there? Well, first I will, um, my main focus will be language learning, um, which isn't glorious. It's actually one of the most humbling things you can do as an adult, I think, is to learn another language and have to um, bumble through trying to, you know, ask for help with easy day-to-day -day things that you would have never dreamed of having to ask for help for before um, living in your own country and then also wrestling with uh, the desire to be able to share the gospel uh, in mm. a new language wow. and um, it takes it takes quite a while to be able to do that and so um, I feel like at least when I moved uh, to Asia I, um, I did learn the language and uh, could read and write and everything in the five years that I was there. But initially, I feel like the Lord did bring um, opportunities for discipleship and uh, evangelism with people that could understand some English um, or, you know, a mix of the two languages together in order to be able to have our conversation. So he does, I feel like, bring some of those um, little gifts to encourage you in the midst of your language learning because it's not like the moment you get there you can wow. share the gospel in another language. Wow. But you have to learn the language in order to be able to share the gospel and to be able to have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people. And so much 
of our worldview is wrapped up in our language. Mm. And so to learn the language of a culture is to really begin to understand the worldview of that culture wow. and be able to convey you know, the heart of God to them. Wow. And uh, I'm particularly excited about the uh, organization you're, you're working with. Um, I won't disclose that, but um, it's uh, exploded all over the, uh, is it mostly the MENA, uh, Middle East, North Africa, 1040 so. window? Yes. Um, do you remember any of the stats on how it's grown at all? I just know that it's grown I don't immensely. Have any, I don't have any of that offhand. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm just super encouraged that there's church planning movements that are rapidly growing. And this particular church planning movement is working in the Middle East and North Africa and, uh, you know, started as a very grassroots thing. And I think it has, you know, 40 or so different um active uh i don't know if you'd call them bases or movements or uh church planning things uh now so that's really encouraging um so anyway uh just wanted to give everybody um a interview with sandy she's been amazing we're excited so um Please pray for her as she's laboring to learn Arabic and um, working with the team, church planning amongst Muslims. And obviously, this is uh, the, dif the most difficult mission field in the world. That's why there's only 1% of missionaries doing this. People call it the, great, the last great missions frontier. Um, so, Sandy, you have any closing thoughts, any exhortations for somebody listening that's maybe contemplating missions or missions to the Muslim world, um, anything you would encourage them with? Well, one, one thing that I um, came away from these last several months uh, jumping in on uh, MMWU coursework is that in doing, um, we have assignments to go out and uh, try to share our faith with Muslims in our community, and um, that can be super daunting especially to someone who's very introverted and doesn't really enjoy talking to strangers uh, but one of the things that uh, really Im impressed me and encouraged me is that it's super easy to strike up a conversation about faith with Muslims it's mm -hmm. probably easier to talk to Muslims about faith than it is to most Americans mm -hmm. because they're happy to be able to share what they believe and then you can have a dialogue about what you believe and why. And, you know, sometimes they threw out things that I was like, oh, we don't, that's not what we believe. They thought that's what we believed. And mm. so you could just have conversation. And in the ones that I had, they were never, you know, heated um, exchanges, but they were just a great open dialogue and be able to um, ask them questions and, I tried to start with that, you know, how, you know, you're a Muslim, right? How in your religion do you deal with your sin? What, what's the, what happens? What needs to happen with your sin? And um, I definitely got some different answers. They were not all the same, but it was a great experience to be able to start with that and dialogue back and forth and share with them what I believe will happen when I stand before the throne of God. And, um, yeah, so I would just say if you have Muslims in your city where you mm -hmm. are, which you probably do, uh, go to where they are and uh, 
try to strike up conversations. And uh, I think you would be amazed at how easy it is to talk to many of them. And I feel like often they don't feel welcome here and comfortable mm. here. So the fact that someone was friendly and smiling and kind to them mm. means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. One of our students, Dijani, um, she, uh, she, the first thing she says when she's talking to um, a Muslim, you know, from another country is she's so welcoming. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Nice to meet you. And just says it so big and over the top. And, and that was always such a warm, inviting way to start the, the conversation. Um, well, Sandy, we're uh, so excited for you and uh, for what you're going to be doing. And I just want to invite anybody listening that if uh, the Lord moves on your heart and you want to sow into uh, Sandy's ministry, you can email me and I will uh, you know, talk to you and we can get you some more details on how you can sow directly into somebody that is on the field, uh, church planning uh, among Muslims. So anyway, uh, and Sandy, thank you for that last exhortation. I was just thinking about today the fact that you know, missiologists say there's about 900 million born-again Christians globally, 1.8 billion Muslims. So there's basically two Muslims for every born-again Christian. But if all 900 million, which obviously this is idealistic, but if all 900 million shared the gospel with two, we'd be done. Um, so have you reached your two yet? And if, if not, then who's going to do that? If, and if I don't reach mine, who's going to do that? Right. Currently, we have one missionary, like Sandy, for every 400,000 Muslims or every 420,000 Muslims. So it's going to take a lot more of a con global concert of intercession, prayer, and evangelism to finish the task of global evangelization amongst Muslims. We need missionaries, but we need the global church, everybody, to be involved. We like to say that every Christian is a missionary, whether you're on the field or not. So I love that. Get involved in your city. Go out. You know, we, we like to say if you can just do it, schedule a time, maybe once or twice a month, and uh, just go try to talk to a Muslim. And uh, they're everywhere. There's 30,000 in the city that I live in, and I'm sure there's many thousands where you are too. So. Thank you, Sandy, for your Thanks time. For me, Ryan. Absolutely. Thank you for your listeners. And again, if you want to support Sandy, you can email me and I will get that information to you. So until next time, this is Ryan James, Vice Squared Ministries. <laughs>